Good morning, gang. Good to see you guys. Ah, so good to see you guys. Let's jump right into it. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, Teddy, thanks so much, man. He did a great job. A great job. I listened to his message and yeah, yeah, he's just really confident and clear. It's awesome, bud. Appreciate Russ and Teddy and those who speak. Barbara. I want to let you know, if you, if you have a burning desire to teach the class, let me know because, um, but be prepared if I say, no, you're not ready. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's the problem with opening that up because, you know, you get someone like, oh, I want to teach. I believe we need to study the Ten Commandments. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but if you have a burning desire to teach the class, please let me know so I can pray about it and talk to you about it because I don't know sometimes, you know, who, because I know I used to be sitting there just with a burning desire and I wish the pastor would ask me, you know, this is like when I was in college, I wish someone would ask me to teach, you know, of course I wasn't ready for it, but so I want, I want to know, you know, if you want to do that, please let me know. And we've got soccer coming up and there'll be weekends, I won't be able to be here and stuff and I just appreciate all the help and, and it's powerful, I think, to, uh, Speak, you know, what, you're, what we're, we're all learning, what we're all learning. And um, the scripture says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And let, that Sunday we were here, two Sundays ago, we did uh, How to Experience God. And everybody started like popcorn sharing and speaking. And uh, someone began to sing a song. And it was awesome because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, the truth is confirmed. It's, it's really cool. It's got one of God's dynamics that settles the heart, you know, and just seals it in place when you hear your brothers and sisters testifying, which is why we're going to start doing videos of everybody here, everybody in the church, a video, whoever wants to do it, a testimony, a short testimony of how you came to know Jesus himself and the grace of God, how you got free from legalism, whatever it is. And we're going to show those in the main meeting from time to time, just short videos of testimonies on video of, of people uh, who have come to see what God is all about. So that's powerful. Anyway, thanks, guys. Thanks for praying for me, too. Always, if you don't mind, remember to pray for me. And it's just tough sometimes, you know. It's just the enemy wants to shut all of us up. So just really appreciate your prayers very much. Let's jump into it. Lord, we just thank you that where the enemy comes in like a flood, you lift up a standard by the Spirit of God against it. Every attack of the enemy, there's a counterattack by God. As Elijah said to his servant, Lord, open his eyes that he may see that there are more with us than with them. And the Lord opened his eyes and the servant saw the hills filled with angels and flaming chariots around them. There are more with us than with them. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. For you are in him and he is in you and the wicked one touches you not. That's a promise from the Lord himself. For you are in me and I am in you and the wicked one touches you not. In the world we have tribulation but we can be of good cheer. For you, Lord, have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that the battle belongs to the Lord. 
the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share some thoughts this morning about the Lord's Supper. I want to focus on this whole matter of remembering the Lord with the bread and the wine and talk about what the scripture really teaches about that. Because I believe in Christendom, not so much maybe in this church, but in Christendom, there's a completely, completely opposite view of what the covenant meal is all about. I mean, 180 degrees opposite. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's awesome. A huge ear. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> He's so gentle, isn't he? Just oh, yeah. picture of an ear. And that's all I could see the whole time we were praying. Gigantic ear. That's awesome. So cool. That's awesome. See, these are awesome things. Signs and wonders and the... You know, one day I've been pondering about going through the book of Acts and looking at all the supernatural things that happened in the book of Acts. I mean, unbelievable, little things and big things. I mean, things like Paul trying to go into Asia to preach the gospel, and he has a dream about a man who says, come on to Macedonia and to help, help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. And the whole gospel shifts from Asia to Europe and changed Europe and America eventually and the whole world changed because that one dream, a vision, a dream that said, come over to Macedonia this way, come this way and help us. Little things that God, Book of Acts is full of that. I love it. The ear. So cool. Okay. Before I get into the Lord's Supper and you want to, if you want to start turning there, it's First Corinthians is one of the clearest passages about the church celebrating the Lord's Supper, it's also the passage that is most misunderstood and, mo- and mistaught. <laughs> so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can begin turning there. And then I want to look at this one more time real quick. Remember we talked two weeks ago about how to experience God and how we said we didn't want to make this a formula, but there's some simple things that God has taught us that we can at any time, we can access God. This is the thing that the Spirit really wants us to get, I think. One of the things He really wants us to get. We have access, the Scripture says, to the Father through Christ, finish, His finished work, through, his, through Him, by the Spirit. To the Father. We have access to the Father through Christ. Through you and I being joined to Him, we have been plunged into judgment on the cross we have been raised in him, a new creation. We're in union with him and sit with him in heavenly places. As he is, so are we now in this world. We are sons and daughters as he is a son. We have now received the spirit of the son that cries, Abba, Papa, Daddy. We have access to the Father, our Father, our Father. Pray this way, Jesus said, our Father. We have access to our Father by Christ through the spirit that has been given to us 24-7. Sin does not and cannot 
hinder that access because that's the very point of the cross. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And tribulation can't separate us from Him. Nothing high, nothing low, nothing. Paul says there's nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even, and he starts with sin. He starts naming sin, number one. Sin cannot separate. He goes, who shall bring any charge to God's elect? Who shall bring any charge? For Christ died. So he, he starts at the number one thing that we're all worried about. Oh, did my sin keep me from access, my access to the Father? And Paul says, shall anybody bring any charge to God's people? For Christ died for them. And then he goes to, he tries to think of every possible thing. You know, bad weather, humidity, highs, lows, demons, you know, highs, lows, you know. Things to come, things, uh, you know, whatever. Nothing is what he's trying to say. So the big point right now the Spirit really wants us to get is that there is nothing that separates us. This old Pentecostal thinking that there are brass ceilings when we pray because we have sin in our life. There's sin in the camp, unconfessed sin in our lives. That is bogus. It's a lie from the enemy. You go boldly to a throne of grace, the scripture says, to find help and mercy. If you didn't need mercy, I mean, if you, you know, that's why you go there, to receive mercy and help in time of need. Boldly, the scripture says, to a throne of grace, not judgment, a throne of grace. I mean, this is cool. I mean, this is the one cool thing that, that if you get this as a believer, your Christian life changes overnight because every day on earth you have immediate access to God without regard to your sin, your performance, your goodness, your badness, not your good deeds, not your bad deeds. It has nothing to do with it. It's all Christ. It's awesome. And that's what the enemy does not want you to see. That's what the enemy does not want you to hear because if he knows, it's like, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz, the ruby red slippers. She could go home at any time. The Wicked Witch of the West wore those slippers because she knew the power of it. I think it's really symbolic of the blood of Christ, the red slippers, the blood of Christ. I think God was in all of that teaching. God speaks in all kinds of ways. If he can speak through the rocks, he'll speak through the Wizard of Oz. You know, you could always go home. You could always go home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Oh, my gosh. No wonder the witch wanted that. See? Oh, well. Okay. We have direct access all the time. Okay, we talked two weeks ago about how to experience God. Just real briefly, receive his love. Don't let the enemy get you on the, on the path of, of thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and strength and put the pressure on you to love God first. No. The scripture says it is not that we first loved God, but God first loved us. That's, that commandment is a commandment under the law. That is the greatest commandment under the law. The Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest law? The greatest commandment under the law. And he said, that is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That is not the greatest commandment under grace. We can't do that. If we could do that, that's all the law and the prophets. If you could do that, Jesus did not have to come. That's the point. What is the greatest commandment under the, under the new covenant of grace? It is to believe that God loves you with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, and all his strength. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. And the second greatest 
commandment under the new covenant is to believe that he loves my neighbor even as myself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the dynamic of heaven. Because when we believe that he loves me, and he be- I believe he loves my neighbor as myself, it changes everything. And in this new covenant, Christ himself gives me his own righteousness, and I find myself loving God. I find myself doing what the law was trying to get me to do. But it's because of the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, responding to the love that I received. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. Secondly, remember him and his work. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember him and his work. If the enemy can get you to not really understand his work, then the remembrance of him becomes something dreadful, fearful, uncertain. But when you know him and know his work, the remembrance of him is life and peace. Remember. And this is what I want to focus on today in the Lord's Supper because the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me. Eat of the bread, drink of the wine in remembrance of me. Real quickly, the other two things we mentioned two weeks ago is there are only four things I think that are just very simple that are really cool. That's an A. Thankfulness. And finally, I say, I say song instead of worship or praise to emphasize the action of making melody in your heart and voicing it. It's very powerful. But it's really, it's all about worship and praise and adoration. But the song is very important in, in experiencing him. Now notice what this is all about. This is all about him. We receive his love. Now, when I say receive his love, this is really cool. This is a simple thing that will change our lives. We talked about this before, but the very first thing in the morning and throughout the day and at night, we should focus, focus on receiving his love for us. Hear him call you his beloved son, his beloved daughter. Hear it, hear it, hear it. It's verberating throughout the universe in the spirit. Come, my beloved, come, run away with me. I see no blemish in you. Song of Solomon, come, my fair one. You are beautiful. I see no blemish in you. Neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing. Come. Secondly, remembering him and his work, that he himself took my judgment on the tree and the judgment of all people for all sin for all time, Hebrew says. He was raised again and a new creation began by this last Adam. A whole new race. And now I'm a part of that race. I'm no longer from below, but from above. I don't have two natures. One nature, one father, one life. Christ, my life. And then this, notice this, is our response to this. But it's all about him. It's an automatic response of thankfulness from the new heart that comes. Just as, just as day follows night. Nothing you have to work up. You're thankful. You're just thankful. You're thankful. God, I'm so thankful. And then from that thankfulness, it comes the song, making melody in your heart and worshiping and just thanking and adoring and 
And like I said two weeks ago, you're on your own from that point on. There are no rules with him. His, in terms of, of relationship, it's one-on-one. He knows you, you. You get to know him. We're all different. It's awesome. As C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's not a, a lion that can be tamed. He will not fit into some formula. He's awesome. And his heart is toward you. That's awesome. So anyway, so let's go back to this remembrance. Let's look at real quick. Hold your finger there if you would at 1 Corinthians. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll go back to that 1 Corinthians. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, starting with verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Just hold your finger back at that 1 Corinthians verse, but... Hear this, hear this, saints. Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good thing to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to have been offered? Because the worshipers, having been once cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Saints, get this, it's so powerful. Under the old covenant, the continual offering of sacrifices for the covering of sins, not the taking away, but the covering of sins, served the purpose of reminding us of our sins. The new covenant, he, the writer is about to tell us here, the new covenant is a totally different concept in that the remembrance of the one sacrifice of the Christ is to cause us to stop, stop remembering our sins and to start remembering Him. That's the powerful message of the covenant meal do this in remembrance of me this is my body which was broken for you for the complete remission forgiveness and cleansing of all sin this is my blood which was shed for you for the complete remission and cleansing and removal of all sin remember me remember my work remember me remember me so when we come to the to the table of the Lord, of the Lord's Supper, there should be such a sense of eagerness and excitement. Because you think about this. Now, the Passover meal was a picture of the covenant meal of the bread and wine. Jesus himself fulfilled what the Passover meal was just a picture of. When they put the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and God took them out of Egypt with his mighty hand and they ate the, the lamb and the bread, they had the wine, they had the Passover meal. They, the reason it's called Passover is because God said, if you have blood on the doorpost, the whole family, is if, if they're inside the house with the blood on the doorpost, when the death angel comes, when the judgment falls upon Egypt, my angel will pass over your house and not touch it. That's what the word Passover means. It means judgment has passed us over. 
And there's a double meaning to it also because the scripture says he brought them through the Red Sea that they might pass over to the land filled with milk and honey. So it's a double meaning in the sense that when judgment passes you over because of Christ, through the death of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, we pass over to where he is in that land filled with milk and honey, which is life in him. It's awesome. But see the point here, saints, in Hebrews 10, the writer, his passion is trying to compare a covenant that just covered sin uh, with daily and continual sacrifices with a covenant that took away sin by one sacrifice. And the difference, the difference is that on the old covenant, there was a reminder of sins all the time because you always had to get more cleansed. But in the new covenant, there's not a reminder of sins anymore. In fact, the worshipers having once been cleansed should have no more consciousness of sin at all. Not that you don't know when you sin or walk after the flesh. Not that, you don't, not, you, not that you're not able to discern what is good and what is evil. Not that you don't know what is flesh, what is spirit. Not that you don't know that you just blew it. That's not, he's not saying that. He's saying that, that the worshipers would have no more consciousness of uncleansed sin. In the context here, he's talking about cleansed sin and uncleansed sin. And that's the power of grace. That's the power of this new covenant. I tell you, the covenant meal is powerful. It is almost like a portal to the other realm. That's why we're going to see in a minute that when you partake of the covenant meal and you're not in the covenant, judgment falls on you sometimes. That's what Corinthians is talking about. We're going to look at it in a second. And when you are part of the covenant and you partake of the covenant meal, Blessing and healing and life falls on you because you're a son. It's awesome. We have so screwed up the Lord's Supper, so messed it up with an old covenant mentality. We have lost the power of it. And I'm telling you, it's, it's come. It's one of the things, one of the pieces of the puzzle that's getting put in place. Okay, let's look at this real quick here. Let's look at chapter 10 again, verse 3. Let's real quick here. Verse 3 again. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Verse 6. I tell you what, Russ, can you read verse 4, chapter 10, verse 4, verse 4 through 14, please. Verse 4 through 14. Through the offering 
of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Amen. Okay, now let's go back to 1 Corinthians. We approach the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, with this mentality. That no longer do we have a covenant where sin is covered on a continual basis. But it has been taken away by one sacrifice. And this is the will of God. He has no desire to have a relationship with us with this continual cleansing stuff. That was a shadow of the good thing to come. The good thing has come. He wants nothing between you and me. He wants nothing between you and me. And he did it. And he wants you to know there is nothing between him and you. That's his heart. By this will, I have done it. This is your desire, O oh God, to remove it, to take it away once for all time, for all sin, for all people So that they will not be constantly thinking about their sin, but they'll be thinking about you. That's the wisdom of the cross. Okay, let's look at it real quick. Let's get this thing unpacked real quick here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We have been taught in the church overwhelmingly through the years that when you approach the Lord's Supper with the bread and the wine, you should examine yourself for sin. You should make sure you have all your sins confessed up to date and before you can take of the bread and the wine because if you don't, judgment may fall on you if you have unconfessed sin and you eat of the bread and drink of the wine. That's what's generally been taught. You know, that's what, if you ask most Christians, that's what they understand. Yes, that's very important, the Lord's Supper. In fact, I've seen whole churches with 3,000 members get down and on their knees and turn on the, uh, with the pew, turn their, on the pew where they're sitting and kneel before the Lord's Supper. And from the pulpit, the instruction is, let's confess our sins to God. Confess all your sins to God. And you hear moaning, you hear groaning, you have people confessing all over the place before they serve the bread and the wine. And God weeps. And God weeps. The very remembrance of his death is being compromised, is being made of none effect by the traditions of men. Jesus said that of the Pharisees. You make the word of God void and of none effect by your traditions. Because they don't see. They don't see. So what is this really saying? What are we supposed to examine? And what's this thing about judgment falling at the Lord's Supper? Let's look at it. So cool. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Okay, let's see. Verse, let's see, verse 17. Um, but in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, 
Because you come together for the worse. I mean, not for the better, but for the worse. You know what? Does somebody have a pair of reading glasses I could borrow? I forgot to bring my reading glasses. Oh, great. You don't mind? Thank you very much. That we won't be stumbling on words. Ah, oh, this is heaven. <laughs> Sign of old age, I guess. The body is deteriorating. The spirit's renewed every day. Okay, uh, chapter 11, verse 17. All right, verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. You realize you can go to church for the worse and not for the better? That's cool. Paul says, I'm not going to praise you because you're gathering together as believers and, you know, you you believers are gathering together. You think I'm going to praise you that that's a great thing you're doing? No, you're you're getting together for the worse, not for the better. And I can say that about a lot of churches around the world. They're getting together for the worse, not for the better. They have some message from the pulpit that is not the finished work of Christ, not the grace of God, not the word of God, not the, not the life of God, and they leave worse than they came. Amen. And some people feel like that's a good thing. I mean, I've actually talked to people that said, wow, the pastor really raked me over the coals today, man. <laughs> Whoa, man, he stepped on my toes today, dude. I mean, he really raked me over the coals. Man, that was a good message. We're weird. We're strange. We think that's a good message when we feel, hear fire and judgment and get your act together. But, you know, it takes revelation to preach Christ. You only preach what you see. And if you don't see it, all you know is fear and judgment to try to modify behavior and keep people straight. You know, keep them from getting too happy. Because if you get too happy, it's probably sin in there somewhere. I mean, the only place you ought to be happy is when someone gets saved or somebody rededicates their life. Otherwise, it's sin. Like that joke. I would tell it one day. Well, I tell it one years ago, I think about it. What shall we do with sin? Anyway. All right, sorry. Verse 17. Verse 18. For in the first place, all right, now Paul's going to address two issues with the body of Christ. Two issues. The first thing he wants to address is the more serious issue. Then he goes to the less serious issue, but still an important issue. He's talking now here about the gathering of the believers that get together, and they partake of the Lord's Supper. They used to do that every time they got together. They'd have a meal, what would be called an agape feast or a love feast. They'd bring food from their homes, and they would share the food, and they'd have a great celebration together, and one would share something, one would share something, one would sing, and then they would have the covenant meal probably at the end of the celebration but maybe at the beginning i'm not sure how they did that but they would celebrate the reason they were there by remembering him with the bread and the wine okay so verse 18 he says for in the first place when you come together as a church i hear that there are divisions that divisions exist among you and in part i believe it now that word divisions there in the in the greek what is the king james version who has a king james version King, King James says divisions. Who has a, a translation that says heresies? There's a translation that actually translates it correctly. It's, it's actually, her, the, the root word of that word in the Greek, you can look this up, is heresies or heretics. Divisions. It's not like just divisions like, you know, you have a different view of something. No, this is, this is a, a word in the Greek that means a heretic or a, someone who is not a believer. Someone who's not a believer. So the first thing he addresses, the more serious thing, is that I hear there are unbelievers at these feasts. 
There are heretics. There are unbelievers at this feast. I hear they're, they're coming for the food. They're coming for the celebration, but they've never really believed, and they've never entered the covenant, and they're in your midst. Okay, that's the more serious thing. Look at this. This is so cool. Verse 19. For there must also be factions among you. Now, the Hebrew, that is, I mean, in the Greek, that is the her- another uh, form of the word heretic. Okay, good. So 19, it says heresies. Okay, that's it. See, the, the correct translation of divisions and factions is heretics or heresies. False teaching, false believers, false brothers. That's exactly right. Verse 19. For there also, for there also must be factions or heretics or unbelievers among you in order that those who are approved may have, be, may have become evident among you. God allows unbelievers to be in the, the church. He says, don't go around trying to pull up the tares. You'll pull the weed up in the process. You'll hurt the real ones if you try to figure out who's not the real one. I allow it, God says. I allow the tares and the wheat because it becomes starkly different because of the way someone who's in Christ lives and someone who doesn't in Christ lives, that those who are approved, it might become evident among you. Not that we're supposed to judge people. You know, I'm not saying that. We're to know no man after the flesh and encourage all people in Christ and so forth but it's it's evident that hey that's something's wrong over here that's not what you know but it it shows a contrast in the body of Christ when he he allows the tares and the wheat to grow together he is the one that will divide it not us okay verse 20 therefore when you meet together it is not to eat the Lord's supper in other words if if you're meeting with with all these unbelievers and serving the covenant meal to unbelievers with the believers, that's really not the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper is not for the unbeliever is what, what Paul is saying. Verse 21, for in your eating, now this is the second problem that he addresses. This, 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 there's another problem here that's not as serious as the other one, but here's the second problem. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry, another is drunk. They had real wine there, that's for sure. He says, what... Do you not have houses to eat in and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Okay, so what he said, the second problem is the believers were coming and they would have, they would bring food from their homes and they'd eat it all before everybody got there. And the people that didn't have food, the poor who didn't have much to bring, there was nothing for them to eat when they got there. And they were shamed. They felt shamed. And God says, don't do that. What are you doing? Paul says, you know, the Lord through Paul is saying, no, don't you have houses to eat in? If you're that hungry, if you're that hungry, eat in your house before you come. But if this gathering is supposed to be in the spirit of Christ and you bring in food and all and you have people that don't have enough to bring and they come in there and it's all eaten up because you've eaten everything up and you're all, you know, that's what he's talking about. That's, that's a minor problem compared to having heretics among you, but those are two issues he addressed in the Lord's Supper. It shows the heart of God that God wants to share with those who have not. You know, those who have, share with those who have not. And, and if, if there's a problem there, then eat in your house. Eat, eat at your house before you gather. You know, if, if there's a problem with, you know, you want to eat too many bre- pieces of bread or whatever, you know. Okay. Now, look at this. For I receive, verse 23, For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is... which which is for you. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
It's an awesome statement, by the way, saints. Just ponder that. Jesus is actually saying that the cup is the new covenant, which is the blood. He's actually saying the new covenant is all about his death. It's awesome. He said, That's, this is it. This is the essence of it. In fact, there's a verse in, in Romans where Paul quotes one of the prophets and he's talking about Israel that one day Israel is going to see more, more of Israel will see a remnant will see. And, and he quotes one of the prophets and he says, and this is the covenant I will cut with them in those days when I take away their sin. That's all he says. This is the covenant I will cut with them in those days when I take away their sin. That's the essence of the covenant. You don't, you don't, you don't have that. You don't understand the covenant. And that's what we just read in Hebrews 10. It's not about covering. It's not about remembering our sins so we can get cleansed and get, get right with God every day. It's about the taking away of sin. It's about the blood. It's about the cup. It's the covenant. It's everything. It's everything. That's why Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus and him crucified. It's everything. It's your rock. They overcame the serpent by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their life even unto the death. That's it. It's awesome. Simple but profound. Okay. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, it's all about his death. What he did did everything. It removed our sin from us. It's what, it's what keeps us, that, that door open in our minds to God. You know, we don't have fear that we don't have access to him anymore. We don't have the enemy tossing us to and fro by every wave of doctrine, every trend that comes down the Christian road, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. God's not happy with you. No, 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 no. We remember the Lord's death. The door is open always. Behold, I have opened a door that no man can shut, Jesus said. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Interesting. Now, Paul gives us the reason why some experience judgment at the Lord's Supper. Verse 30, he describes how that judgment manifested. For this reason, many among you are weak, physically weak, not strong, sick, and a number sleep. Which is, a, which is a reference to death. I do not buy the teaching that says this. He's got to be talking about Christians here because he, he's using the word sleep. No, everybody sleeps. Blessed are those who are awakened in the first resurrection. Bad news for those who are awakened in the second resurrection, Revelation says. Everybody sleeps. Lazarus is sleeping. He wasn't a believer yet. He wasn't born again yet. Everybody sleeps. Nobody really dies. They all sleep. At the end, Sheol gives up her dead. And I don't mean soul sleep and all that. I'm not talking about soul sleep. I'm talking about the, the term sleep cannot, from the Scripture, be relegated just to the believer. For even the unbeliever sleeps awaiting, awaiting the day of judgment when, he, when Sheol shall give up her dead and they shall stand before God in their works and not in the work of Christ. So, this is a talk. This is talking about, it's a reference to Paul understood that this is not the end. So he, when someone dies, he refers to him, whether a believer or an unbeliever, as sleeping. Because, but blessed are those who awaken in the first resurrection, because they're in Christ. But those who awake, awaken in the second resurrection, awaken unto judgment. 
Revelation. Okay. So there's sickness, there's weakness, there's death taking place here. Verse 31. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. Interesting. So if I would judge myself rightly, I would not be judged, as he's referring here, with weakness and sickness and death and what's going on here, drinking it unworthy. Verse 32. But when we are judged, we are disciplined or chastised by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. That cannot be a reference to a believer because you're not going to be condemned along with the world. So who is he talking about? See, the judgment falling on those eating and drinking of the bread and wine unworthily was to wake them up so they would not be condemned with the world. That cannot be a believer he's talking about. For he has saved us not into condemnation, but into salvation. For he has not saved us unto wrath, but into salvation. See? So what, what is this, what's going on here? He's saying this is, a, this is the way the Lord is trying to get the unbeliever's attention as they are sneaking in, maybe coming in like Ananias and Sapphira who were unbelievers trying to join the church by just paying a little bit of money, thinking they could buy their membership in the body of Christ, into the mystical body of Christ, and judgment fell upon Ananias and Sapphira, but they were not believers as we did that teaching a while back. It's on my website. You can read the, all the points in the, in the book of Acts. You can, you can prove. You got, I can prove from the text they were not believers. It's, from the, it's in the text. So God at times allows unbelievers in our midst but it's a dangerous thing to mess around with God you know and try to get in by some other door there is only one door and the only currency that God recognizes is the currency of faith not money Ananias and Sapphira tried to buy their 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 way in and they died and it didn't cause the body of Christ to be fearful it caused them to be feel secure the book of Acts said they were like rejoicing like wow our dad's looking out after us you know He's guarding this, the flock, you know? So it's really, it's really cool. Okay. So verse 32 says, This judgment that's falling upon a few that are gathering here is done that they might wake up so, they're not be, so they won't be condemned along with the world. So verse 33 says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for, wait for one another. You know, he comes back to that point, you know, wait for one another when you come together. Be considerate of each other. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that he, might, he may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Okay. This phrase here, examine yourself, is the key. Is he saying examine yourself for sin? Because that's what's being taught. That never appears in the passage, does it? Examine yourself for sin. It's not there. Now he tells us what he's referring to when he says what it means to drink and eat unworthily. He, He tells us in verse 29. Verse 29, he says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Judge the body rightly. No mention of sin there. Judge the body rightly. What is he saying here? Examine yourself. And then he says, previously, he says, says if, you know, if your examination has good results then let him eat of the the bread and drink of the cup what's he talking about if you're not a believer among the believers if you're not a believer taking of the covenant meal every time you take a sip of that cup you're testifying that you deserve judgment 
because you're not a believer. You haven't received his judgment for you. So every time you drink of the cup and eat of the bread, it's actually drinking judgment to yourself. You see that? Because you are standing outside of Christ, eating of him, and instead of that being life to you, it's death to you. As Paul said, we are an aroma of life to the believer and of death to the unbeliever. Aroma of life and death. In the same way, the covenant meal is a powerful release of power. It's a powerful release of power to the body of Christ of healing and life and encouragement and not a sin focus, but a Christ focus. But to the unbeliever who would dare to take of the covenant meal that he doesn't belong to because he hasn't believed, he, that same powerful covenant meal becomes death to him and not life and not peace. You see what I'm saying? And that's what Paul is saying here. That's why it's, it's a powerful, powerful thing to take of the covenant meal because it's, it's really, it's the one thing Jesus left us to do to remember him. And when we get it right, it's powerful. Believers were healed. They were encouraged. Unbelievers woke up and said, you know, God's calling me. God's telling me I'm not really in this covenant. I'm just coming here for the food. I believe. I want to be one of you. I believe. Come, then eat and drink. You're one of us if you believe. One of the approved ones. He leaves the camp of the heretics and believes. Isn't that awesome? And then the, the minor thing he talked about was, you know, be considerate of others and come with enough food to share. And if, you, if you're that hungry, eat at your home before you come so that no one is shamed. And the poor who have nothing to bring are not shamed in your presence because God hates shame. God hates shame. That's why he said of Joseph, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, the scripture says, Joseph being a righteous man, being a righteous man in the, in the eyes of the law, you know, not righteous in Christ, but just God's referring to him as a good man. Joseph being a righteous man, hid Mary and determined to take her out of the city so she would not have any shame. God loves that. God loves that. God hates for people to, to expose other people's sin. He hates that. The three sons of Noah, when Noah was drunk inside the tent after the flood, one son went up and his father was naked, all drunk and sprawled out naked. That son came out and made fun of his dad and said, Dad's in there drunk and naked as a goose. Two sons took a, a blanket, walked backwards, would not look on their daddy, covered their daddy. God bless those two sons he cursed the third son and their lineage have had problems ever since God is not into shaming us don't you let the enemy tell you that he wants to expose your sin that's God book of Revelation says Jesus says come to me that I might cover you and cover your shame book of Revelation that you may not that you shame be not not ashamed be not ashamed it's awesome we have a great God that wants us to remember that he's taken away our sin. Remember him, not our sin. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for the reality of the covenant meal. Help us, help us to see that we have, 
We have discerned, we have examined ourselves, and we do belong to you, that we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we can eat and drink of the cup and the bread and rejoice in a reality that sin has been taken away, a portal to another realm in the Spirit that we can remember and enjoy, a place of blessing and glory. Oh, God, thank you for this time together. I pray that we would let these things go deep inside us, help us teach others. In Jesus' name, amen.